right, welcome back to another episode of the Sustainability is Sexy podcast, where we talk about what sustainability means in the fashion game. I'm your host, Mal, the Sustainable Fashion Investigator. Ooh, I'm so that. excited because today we have our first guest on the Sustainability is Sexy podcast. Today I am here with two awesome women, awesome. owner of Warehouse Kentucky Vintage Store located here in Lexington. By the way, we're sitting in their shop right now. It's yeah. awesome. Well, okay, I'll start first because yeah. I'm the oldest. Um, <laughs> my name's Shonda. And my, my name's Liz. And together we are Shiz. That's our introduction. Yeah, we're real fun. We do that in person, too. But yeah, I'm one of the owners here at the shop, mm-hmm. warehouse. Yeah, I'm excited to hear your old story. I'll start from the beginning. So mm-hmm. When did you get into vintage? When did you get into like reselling? So I'm the oldest of five kids. My dad's a pastor. And my mom's a nurse. And with five kids, like, back then and being a pastor, they didn't make a ton of money. We never got to go buy new clothes, ever. We either got donations from the people at church, which were not cool clothes. I was kind of forced to be a thrifter at the beginning. (laughs) I was not popular. I was very quiet. Um, I was shy. And it was a new school. And I remember I was wearing a Hollister shirt. And I had got it from Goodwill. Someone asked me where I got it from. And I was like, Hollister? Duh. Like, Like, I was ashamed. I didn't tell them I got it from Goodwill. And then... As I, you know, went to high school and then into college, where everyone's trying to scrape by, all of my friends had always seen that I'd been doing this and buying these clothes and putting them together and even decorating. You know, every time we'd go out to a bar somewhere, they would borrow my clothes. They'd say, can you put, I would literally put (laughs) outfits together for six girls. Out of your thrifted clothes. Yeah. Yeah. From that, I didn't know exactly what I'd be doing because I was a personal assistant. I mean... I was a nanny, but always on the side, I was kind of like, okay, you know, I need to do something with either interior design or selling or vintage or clothing or fashion or, you know, some kind of event thing. Even into college, like I would do pop-ups. I remember my first pop-up, it was at a church. It was at my church, actually. (laughs) And the shit that I had, you guys, it was not cute. But it was my, you know, it was my first first one. one. And so I'm still proud of, just my sign, though. The name was a birdie once told me, like before it was warehouse. And it was just, yeah, I don't know what that was for about eventually I had a job at a vintage shop um I was a manager um at Warren and Company when he was open here in Lexington and I had started the Instagram and everything but it was it's so freaking hard to start with no followers and like nothing you know and I didn't Mm -hmm. have a shop but I was trying to do it on the side and so I thought well why don't I get a job at a vintage shop to learn some things Nick really like pushed the social media because that's when Instagram was getting big with posting a lot Mm -hmm. and I hated it Mm because I just wanted to be there playing with the clothes and helping customers because I thought that was amazing so anyway he when he closed that store I didn't have a job and I was just like I remember it was this point where I was like I was so upset because I loved it and I felt like I was getting somewhere with eventually Mm -hmm. having a space Mm -hmm. or doing something like this full time. My boyfriend at the time, I mean, I'll always give him this credit. He, he was like, you have no, you have no commitments. Like just try it, just do Mm -hmm. it. And so I did. A friend of Mm -hmm. mine had an extra apartment and for a month it was going to be empty. And so she said I could set up my racks of clothes in there. And I remember I did it. Like I had like six racks and I just brought piles of clothes that I'd been hoarding for years, like vintage stuff. I was so excited. I remember posting on Instagram, like a couple people actually came. And I was just like, holy shit. Like, this is amazing. Where we met, her boyfriend at the time and my current boyfriend, well, my boyfriend, they are friends. And so I was talking to Will one day and he's like, you need to meet my girlfriend Shonda. Like, you would love her because I started reselling. Actually, my first love for reselling came when I was little and I would go through my mom's closet 
because she loved Vera Bradley. She went to all those like huge Vera Bradley sales where like my mom loved oh Vera Bradley God. too. Yes, and I would go through her stuff, and then I would have my sister drive me to Plato's Closet, and I would sell it. Yes, and she would get so mad at me. All, like she still brings it up to this day. I didn't know you did that. Yeah, that you was like my me. first. She was hustling at yes, a young and age. that was like my first like reselling high. You know. Then uh, when I got into college, I just wanted to make extra money. Something for my mental health that's like really good is that I just need to keep my mind off of it. So that's when re- like thrifting became like my like little. If I was stressed from school, you know, don't do your homework. Go to Goodwill. Like you know, this yes, therapy. Yes, and then my mom and. I think it was, well, it was kind of my whole family. They were like, you need to, like, you spend way too much money. Like, you need to stop. And I was like, how can I keep doing this and make money? And then I thought, well, I did it when I was 12. I can do it now. And I started a Poshmark. And so I had been reselling on Poshmark through college. I was doing it in, like, you know, up until I met you. Mm -hmm. But I wasn't selling vintage. It was mostly just, like, cute. Some of it was. But it was just cute things that Mm -hmm. I found, things that I liked, you know. Then we met in that space. The apartment? Yeah, the apartment. And I remember coming in. Um, Did I have a ton of clothes on the floor? Like in there that was a ton pile. of clothes. There was a big pile of uh, ties. Yeah. And you were like, I don't know why I bought these. <laughs> like you were like, I want to get rid of all of them. And then I spent that day. There was a couple people there, and I just like didn't want to stand there and do nothing. So I started putting tags on everything because I actually worked at Plato's Closet in college. It was just natural. Like I was like, these need tags. And she was like, Oh my god, can you do that for me? Like again, please. <laughs> I mean, I was a little bit into vintage, but that's like what butted my love for vintage vintage right it was more of like it we we didn't start as friends I mean we were but it was almost like a businessy type of like yeah relationship yeah because that was like the first time we met and it was doing like this so it was was like like, yeah hell yeah and I was like cool you want to keep hanging out with me like yeah hell yeah let's go through a thing yay then we like the month was coming to an end I was stressed out I was like where am I gonna go I can't go back into like the house Your bedroom yeah um Oof. and so there was this there's this huge warehouse right across from it you know where uh rock house is okay so i remember when i moved in next door to for a month and i was like i need to figure out who owns that warehouse and how i can get a space in it because <laughs> i know did. it's not operating <laughs> and so yeah i did and it, it was a really cool space but it was literally filled to the brims with like old stuff just crazy and so they carved out a path into this room and it was my room and it was you know it was probably like 400 square feet it was, pretty... I, it was smaller than that I would say like 300 yeah but it, it was, was it small. seemed big to me at the it time had tall ceilings tall ceilings like those Ugh, brick huge yeah. windows and it was like a couple hundred a month so I just decked that mother out like mm-hmm. I made it like a shop or what I would want yeah. a shop to be and then how exactly did this go down? I was on Poshmark, so I was doing Eliza's Closet. She was like, if you ever want to just come hang out and, like, take pictures of your stuff, like, totally come do it. Oh, yeah. And I knew where, like, the spare key was. I, yeah. I felt so weird going in there and, like, getting it. I was like, they're going to, like, arrest me. You were, like, the first person I, like, yeah. I was like, okay, you can go in my treasure room. Yes. Eventually, like, as I, we were posting stuff, we would model for each other, and then... Next thing you know, we're putting up green Jaguar wallpaper. Oh, that looks so cool. And then we hung, like, these racks, kind of how they're hanging from the ceiling. We hung one of those. We made, like, a fixture, a built-in, basically. And it was, like, just a super cool thing. And that was kind of, like, the biggest bonding moment, I think. Yeah. Because we were like, oh, my God, you're down to just do anything. Like, Liz is intelligent, like... The first time I was impressed with you, no, this is it, is Night Market. The night Market. It was that down off been. North Lime, and it was, like, the first Friday of every month. And I was like, well, why don't I just set out up outside 
the shop or you know yeah and then people will walk down and see it like what's the big deal and so I did it and I asked Liz to, if she want to help me because like can I bring stuff yeah and, and she, by, I like had my own little like and stuff. at that time I had done pop-ups for a few years mm-hmm. and I was just so impressed by her ability to like talk to people noticing things that need to be picked up or fixed or folded and that sounds like such maybe a small thing but it's not she was actually caring about yeah. a shop that wasn't even hers at that point yeah you know and I was just so I was like I trust her. I like her vibe. How she- I remember that market too. I left work. I used to work at Charming Charlie. It was a jewelry store. And I was doing Poshmark. And I was like, I just want to, I don't want to work there anymore. Like, I don't want to do it. Um, I cried a lot, you know, all that jazz. But they went out of business summer of 2019 when we met. And so it was perfect. Yeah. And so I texted her and I was like, dude, I just lost my job. Like, at, oh, in August, yeah. I don't have a job anymore. And she was like, uh, do you want to just try warehouse full time with me. I was like, yeah, I do. Yeah. And it was like that moment of like, if I can work that hard for someone else, I can work that hard for myself. You and were nervous. I remember though. Oh, I was. I because remember I when like my last paycheck ran out and talking. I was like, Sean, I don't have any money. Other people like, were like out. talking to you being like, what you're going to, I just remember that it wasn't, de- it, it, it wasn't, wasn't bad. It was just like, it was kind of like making it me made me again. hesitant. Cause I was like, can I do it? Am I capable of, you know, running a business? And it is scary, it is. but it's like, if you're willing to take those risks, it is so worth it. I don't think I could ever work for another person again. I know it'd be very <laughs> like, difficult for me too. I, well, <laughs> moving on from the warehouse. So mm. we were there for like yeah. three months and by this time, Liz was, like, all in to find a place together and, like, split yeah. rent. And I was bummed because we had to move out because they were filling it with artist space. And so this we lady that I used to be a personal assistant for, Leslie, who I love very much, Leslie Whaley. Mm. Leslie Whaley, you beautiful by name. Um, she was like, well, I have this little house um, on North, North Broadway, Broadway Park. Park. Yeah, off North Lime. And she said, you guys can rent it for me and then manage it as an Airbnb partially, too. And so we moved in there, and it was, I mean, the house was awesome, but it was tiny. We had Mm -hmm. two rooms in there. But we were there for a while. And Liz is the one that really helped with Instagram because just the consistency of posting and all that stuff, I just, for me and how I work, I hate it. And I think it worked out because I did Poshmark. Mm -hmm. So I was so used to posting five to ten things a day that it was just like, if I wasn't posting, I was like, what am I doing with my life? But, like, that's when we grew the most, I feel like, as far as, I mean, my photography skills from when I started to now. They've improved much, much more. Oh, my God. The, The South Broadway house, I love it to death, but it was brown. So all of our pictures for like six uh, months like poop brown. were poop brown backgrounds. We were mm-hmm. like, we got to do something. Like it, Then it challenged us to go out and do photo shoots. In that house, that's when we started the Drunken Flea. I just remember at the beginning for me, this is kind of where my influence behind in, you know creating the Drunken Flea mm-hmm. came from, was when I was trying to work for myself or get involved somewhere or something, yeah. I, I called interior design places. I called event places. I went to Vin- I told people I'd work for them for free and I just wanted a, an opportunity yeah. that wasn't just having a booth at a peddler's mall. There's nothing against it, but I needed more growth from that point. With the Drunken Flea, we wanted to be able to create an opportunity for other people mm-hmm. to bring awareness to to who they are as sellers in the community while also challenging people to, you know, we have an application process now mm-hmm. and we want people that know why they're doing this and actually actually, know about what they're doing they are wanting to take that next step into like becoming a business because that six months seven months that we were in the broadway house we did like three pop-ups a month Mm -hmm. we drove to louisville cincinnati no idea it It was was crazy they're back breaking like it was (laughs) crazy 
something that also struck us for the Drunken Flea and inspired us was there's not a lot of markets in the winter. There's just nothing for small businesses. Because we were like, we need to make money. We need pop, you know? Yeah, we need pop-ups. Yeah. So that inspired us. What well, it pushed us to like create the Drunken Flea because we were like, we ha- like we need pop-up opportunities. That's how we're making our money. And we wanted a market with just only dope vintage. vintage. Whoever's yeah. attracted to that, they'll come they'll because come, it's going right. to be the best vintage, hopefully. You yeah. Know? So, and the very first one was at Al's bar. There were nine vendors. Yeah. I don't know how we fit nine vendors into that bar, we but did. we did. I mean, it's small, but like it was packed the entire time. We were time. very excited. And because we didn't know how it was going to go. We were, we were like, guys, I'm, if you don't make money, I'm sorry. We were like, I have no idea how this is going to go. And all the people that were involved were, some of them are doing this one, you know, Trent, Melinda Vintage, yeah. uh, Charlotte was at the first one. Zwanky has a shop now. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Vintage Therapy's open now. They were a part of the OG Drunken Flea. So it's a really cool thing to see, like, how big the community has grown in Lexington. Yeah. And awareness for other people that don't even particularly, mm-hmm. they don't have an initial interest in vintage, and then they learn about it. And then they go and, and they're, they're like, like, oh, my God. The timeline. So from then, there was some roof, like, flooding damage, and we had to move out of that place. We moved three times within a year. Yeah. Our shop. But then I remember I was like, okay, we're now we're really screwed because we were doing like three month leases and it was Mm -hmm. people we knew and, you know, it was more like laid back almost. Like they knew that we were starting out. Yeah. And then I I was just nervous. But I was like, we got to find somewhere. We have to. And I just remember I saw the for rent sign here and we got the price and then we talked to them and I think it was like that day we were like, I was like, let's do it. Should we do it? Mm -hmm. So we signed the lease um, in winter and then through the summer and then COVID started. So we were here for two months, and then everything shut down. I yeah. Think. Right. Yes. Um, but our first year of that was challenging in the fact of COVID itself. So that's kind of the journey up yeah, till now. Yeah, and now here we are. I purposefully wanted you guys to be the first people that I got mm-hmm. to interview. I think I started May 18th um, in 2020. Okay. And then I saw an ad for the Drunken Flea. The November one, right? Yes, yeah. the November one. I knew it was put on by you all, and it said, message Warehouse Kentucky if you're interested in being a vendor. And I was like, nobody's going to take me seriously. <laughs> I was like, how can I convince somebody that I'm serious and I really want to do this? Yeah. And I was like, hey, <laughs> hear me out. I want to do this. <laughs> and they messaged me saying that I was going to be able to be at the Drunken Flea. And truthfully, like a dream come true. And, and it mm, sounds cliche, so but a lot of people, when they talk about the Drunken Flea, you know, that was the game changer. That's like when people decided they wanted to take it seriously. Mm-hmm. I think it's really inspirational when you see that there's so many other people either doing this for a living or like will take you seriously because mm-hmm. it's a hustle for real. It's a lot of work. Yeah, it is. It's a lot of work that people don't understand oh, yeah. until you yes. do it. That is the whole goal of the Drunken Flea is just we wanted to build this community of people who supported each other and, you know, were there for each other. And also that challenged each other too. Like this was the first time we had a large application process it was awesome to see that many people interested but you know we definitely are selective i think that's another reason why the drunken flea is so successful is because when like we've had uh jamin for instance 859 finds he came to the february drunken flea and wanted to do the march one but then COVID happens so we couldn't do it so he came to the november one he had a five by ten booth and he would he like was sending us pictures. He was like, "Is this cool?" Like he like, came like in this? and we had like a meeting. He, yes, and like I was like, I love it. And it was, was like, just like awesome. that effort. We were like, "You really genuinely want to do this?" His booth was amazing. And this time, next 
Drunken Flea, he's setting up a 10 by 20 booth with uh, yes. one of his friends. It's just so cool to see, like, the growth from people and, like, you know, the people who really genuinely want to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's also what makes it a cool event because people are setting up their booths beforehand and decorating and, you oh, know, yeah. making it the best it can be. So, yeah, something I fun. wanted to talk to you all about is, like, what it's like to be a woman in the vintage game because, you know, we see a lot of sneaker resellers mm-hmm. and, and people selling vintage tees, like, kind of go together. And I feel like it's kind of, like, male dominant Mm -hmm. yes and here in lexington when i found out that there are two girls who own a vintage store really doing their thing like own their craft it's so cool but do you you think it gives you a leg up or do you think there's anything kind of difficult about it i think both i think it kind of gives us a leg up because we do sell such a different Mm -hmm. thing than so many people that resell and have stores and stuff um but we also have like that the t-shirts and the cool you know um, you know, 90s stuff, but that's really not our niche. And I think it makes us stand out. So that's like the yes. leg up. But I do definitely think it's harder as a woman in this industry to be taken seriously. Yeah, 100%. Um, even just yeah. talking to other people who've come in and own shops. However, I think that it also gives us the opportunity to show and gain respect as women in this industry because yeah. we have reasons for why we're doing this. So it's been a challenge, but I also think it's kind of cool. I like the challenge. When we first started doing this, there were no there women, were no like women. chicks selling yeah. vintage. And I was just yeah. like, what is that about? You know, I, we started getting applicants for the Drunken Flea that were women. We were like, oh my gosh, this is great. There's yes. going to be more of a selection. Especially with men, I think the thing that they specialize in, there's more of an awareness about that in the vintage culture mm-hmm. and more of an appreciation because it's been so blown up. Yeah. And... With this, what we're doing, we have 1970s dresses. We, you know, want to know the history about a piece of Mm -hmm. art and we want to sell it for its value to maintain the vintage market. I just definitely think that it's a different experience when you shop like here than some places because one, we're just our authentic selves. We're drinking a beer, we're open, we're happy, we want you to come in and, you know, hang out. And we have friends who come and do their work, they sit on our couches. We've met so many incredible male oh, uh, yeah. sellers in, in in this vintage community. Mm-hmm. And I think that you learn those people and those are the mm-hmm. people that you want to surround yourself yep. with. Then that gives you kind of this confidence from yeah. other people too. As a woman trying to be a business owner, like a young business mm-hmm. owner, it's hard to be taken seriously anyway, mm-hmm. but really you just kind of like have to hold your own. And I think yeah. you guys do a great job of that. Let's talk about Urban Outfitters, Urban Renewal line. Yeah. Obviously, I keep up with your Instagram. Mm -hmm. I saw that you all had posted something about they were selling vintage, and I was like, I need to look into this. Mm -hmm. So I was looking into it, and I have like a love-hate relationship with this situation because I do think it's great that a fast fashion brand is trying a couple steps in the right direction, Mm -hmm. but I can't tell if it's greenwashing or, or just they're really doing something good. So first of all, on the website about Urban Renewal, they say that it's upcycled pieces reimagined by our Urban Renewal team updated by hand in the U.S., so not two are exactly alike. Though similar to what you see here, the item you receive may vary in where. Okay, so right now what we're looking at is an image of something from the website. It just says vintage 90s ribbed crop tank. The price is $46, and something I did notice is that the tag is cut out, okay? Which so, is like, not who a knows if deal. it's even vintage? Right. You can buy up to 10 of this item, and it does say that it would vary slightly in color or, you know, style, 
but I'm, I'm just kind of, I'm confused. Me too. Because I think I saw something on Urban Outfitters that they were selling like the vintage t-shirts, but for like a lot more than you would see, you know, a small reseller sell them for. Um, are they actual vintage? They already sell things that are, that are vintage inspired. You know, they mm-hmm. cut the holes and stuff. And so like, who's to say that it's really authentic or whatever. But looking at this picture of this tank top, like that is something at our store that we would sell for like 18 or 20 bucks. To see it being priced at you know, 46 and then not even having a tag. It's just like, are you actually doing it to be like the trendy sustainable? I don't know. It's just like a weird thing. Well, the other thing I would be interested to know is the the tanks or whatever they have similar to this, because I know they do that are actual new. Mm-hmm. Are they priced below or over this? Because that's something else to think about. Like if they're saying that this brand new piece of clothing is the same, that's the same thing essentially as this, but this is vintage. It's just kind of distorting a line to me. Yeah. Also, I don't like the tag. Like the <laughs> yeah. tag is cut it- out. And it's, that's a thing, too. I, I would say, like, in the community that we're in, if the tag is cut out, it's, like, this kind of, like, okay, it still could be vintage, but it's not something you'd be posting, like, promoting as a $46 tank top when it, it just seems a little yeah. fishy. Yeah, well, I think it's just disrespectful to the history of the garment and yes. who, if it who is actually vintage, made yeah. it. If it is vintage, you want to know I don't care if it it's Hanes, and it's kind of stealing from them, in a way. That also might not make people as interested in knowing the history of vintage, yeah. too, that are buying, especially, like, well, online. It's hard because greenwashing is so relevant in fast fashion with Zara's tactful line where it's like literally the only thing that's recycled is the tag that they put on the garment and not so much the garment itself. So they're still using the same amount of water. They're still using, you know, all these things. You know, yes, this is helping reduce the clothing in landfills, but at what cost? Big businesses like that don't usually spend, you know... Goodwill prices on stuff. Yeah. They spend... They're not fine. There's no way. Yeah. If there's 10 of that item, what they're doing is they are buying it from someone that sells by the hundred mm-hmm. of pounds. Yes. And they're buying them and then selling them as vintage. The See. t-shirt might be vintage, whatever. But the thing is, they're not going out and handpicking it. I hate to be the hater about this because, like I said, it's good that they're trying to make some changes. Mm-hmm. But also, five, six months ago, I saw some video of somebody who was a reseller and said, you guys just wait until these big brands get a hold yep. of vintage because you know, a lot of people not only are going to be out of work, but just like it's already a hustle that people work very hard to work for themselves yes. and resell these clothes because it's their passion. And it just rubs me the wrong way when a big brand that's already you know making millions of dollars successful is continuing to sell fast fashion but then it's also like you know what you like this i heard that you like this we're gonna start doing it it yeah yeah. yes macy's didn't they buy thread up i have no idea macy's or jc penny but they bought thread up I was kind of insulted by it because I was like, people are now sending them clothes. It's already, you know, hard to find vintage or whatever when you're picking. Things are going to be graded more at a corporate level before people like us could even get to it. They're going to have some kind of contract with a big, big, big corporation that can pay them more money than we even could off all this shit that's free to them. Yeah. Yep. That's what I have to say about that. That's crazy. So moving on to our last topic, back to the drunken flea, just because it is so special and it's something that's happening next weekend actually by the time you're listening to this podcast it will already be over but it's going to be happening again in the fall and in the spring every year what do you all think the value of pop-up shops like the drunken flea are in the vintage and reselling community because i know personally as 
a reseller, it had a huge impact on the way that I looked at the community Mm -hmm. and, and feeling included into the community. It had a big impact on my life. For me, with my journey through them, number one, gaining awareness about what you're doing or trying to do. Also, the one-on-one personal interaction. Yeah, Like, that's such a rare thing, unfortunately, today. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not that rare. We're not all aliens. Post-COVID world. Yeah. Like, yes. it's And so, of. I love that aspect of it as well. It kind of develops you as someone that's doing a pop-up to grow. And it's almost like you have this mini store. You can never be too prepared. You only learn by doing more pop-ups. Yeah. And you'll be like, oh my gosh, okay, I'll do this the next time. So the growth that comes from that can help your business too. Developing a brand and like in small business, especially, you know, reselling and, you know, what we do, word of mouth is the most important. I mean, that's really, for most of us, that's the only advertising we get especially with Instagram's algorithm always changing and having to figure that out and Mm -hmm. trying to figure out you know how do I reach my 5,000 followers when 10 people are seeing it (laughs) it's nice to have like those one-on-one interactions where you can actually talk to the people and you can establish that relationship before they follow you and tell them your story and then that way they're more inclined to like your posts and they're more inclined to you know tell tell their their friends they'll spend $50 on a dress because they like you and they want to see you grow and they want to see you keep mm -hmm. doing these things I think it just brings value to what you're doing. This has nothing to do with Drunken Flea, but I think the craziest pop-up we ever did, um, our friend Hannah Meyer, love you, boo, she was in Theta at UK, and she had her sorority do a a pop-up for warehouse so we popped up in their sorority house yeah we asked and we were like we were there we for do... like 45 minutes there was like 800 girls just and stuffed in a room <laughs> like 45 minutes and we had like 800 bucks that's awesome it, you know and we were like oh my god like yay pop-ups pop-ups are just such a good way to just grow your business mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. just develop a culture too like develop a community within something that attracts outside community people and like coexist and yes. the outside of their bubble it's so cool i'm not from lexington i'm from frankfurt which is not far away mm-hmm. but I grew up on a farm, you know, didn't even have Wi-Fi. Very much like small town. Mm -hmm. Saw Lexington as almost a city that I aspired to (laughs) live in, which is bizarre. And so coming here and being like, wow, I'm valid in this community, you you know, and and that's like a really cool thing to think about that pop-ups have given that to a lot of people in the Lexington Mm -hmm. community. And I know it's that way all over. There's someone coming from Fort Wayne, Indiana, which is where I was born. And that's six hours away. So the other thing that I think that's cool about the Drunken Flea is... Lexington might not be bigger like than Cincinnati or whatever, but that doesn't mean we can't make the culture bigger here. I think the most fun thing about the Drunken Flea is that we always aspire to do it at different bars and breweries because we wanted to support local bars and breweries. Mm-hmm. Just supporting small businesses yes. and, and also collaborating with local businesses that are outside of our niche. Yes, that's so cool. We were talking about the very first one had about how many? Nine. 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 So, like, you guys are awesome. That's, like, really cool. <laughs> that's crazy that's to huge. think about. Thanks. Now a message from our sponsors, Warehouse. Hi, my name's Shonda. And my name's Liz. And together we are Shiz. Come check out our vintage shop located on National Avenue in Lexington, really close to downtown. If you mention the keyword sustainability is sexy, you will get 15% off your purchase in-store or online. Find us on Instagram at WarehouseKY. And that is all that we are going to talk about today. I had so much fun. Thank you all so much for agreeing to just chat with me. This was awesome. Thank you for wanting to do it with us and coming to the shop. Very happy. Made me think about things. So good to just connect. And I feel like I get re-inspired when I hear other people's stories Mm -hmm. thinking about, oh, this is like this is possible yes but yeah so tune in next week to the sustainability is sexy podcast where i'm gonna meet with bailey johnson the owner of thrift bay co and we're gonna talk about 
sustainability shaming and why it's stupid because sustainability is not an exclusive club. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. And-